0: All right. Thanks for being here this morning. If you make your way back, take out your copy of scripture. Take out your Bible and turn with it to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. As we continue, I think we have about eight more, eight or nine more weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be wrapping it up towards the end of September. But it's been a good journey and we've made our way kind of to the pinnacle of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in some ways, a central part of it is the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus is, is teaching us how to pray. And he says, pray like this, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This morning, we're going to be looking at verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. God, we want to hear from you this morning. That's why we're here. We want to meet you in the worship. We want to meet you in the praying. We want to meet you in your word, especially, God. So as you speak to our hearts, I pray that we would know that it's you speaking. I pray that us into the truth. Change us as we hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray amen. This last prayer in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We probably could have broken it up and done two different weeks, but I think as we'll see, these are kind of talking about the same theme. They're kind of talking about the same theme, and as we'll see, it's, it's about persevering through the tests of life, And as I was thinking about tests and temptations and trials, I just began to think, what kind of challenges do you face in your life? Surely we all face challenges, right? Physical, emotional, relational challenges. What lengths do you go to to avoid those challenges? Sometimes great lengths. Do you live with rose-colored glasses, maybe an empty optimism that everything will be okay in the end? you keep telling yourself that but it's called empty optimism because when you face challenges to just tell yourself it'll be okay doesn't really help maybe you live with wounded pessimism that everything's doomed and nothing will ever be fixed what do we do when we come to the tests of life i think the main idea of this text and this sermon this morning is going to be that prayer is the only way to persevere through the tests of life. Prayer is the only way to persevere through the tests of life. So we're gonna see this morning, first, that life's full of tests. Then we're gonna see that life's tests are always spiritual. Underlying whatever test we go through is a spiritual battle. But finally, we'll look at what it means to be led by God through life's tests. So first of all, life is full of tests and you say you keep saying tests but jesus said temptation why are you doing that if you look at this word temptation first of all the bible wasn't written in english okay it was written thousands of years ago in another language So sometimes when we see our English words, you might read the word temptation here in Matthew 6.13. You might go to another place in the New Testament and read the word test. Or you might go to another place in the New Testament and read the word trial. But underneath all of those words, it might be actually the same original word in the Greek. They're just trying to find the best definition and the best English word to match it. And so what we see in this word temptation is not actually saying only trying to get you to stumble and fall and fail. What he's saying is a test, a trial. And and we know that tests aren't always bad, right? Maybe you're going back to school tomorrow and you're thinking, I don't know. Maybe they are bad. I don't like tests. Maybe you're thinking back to your nine years in college that tests were really bad for you. Maybe some of you are like, please give me a test. I'm going to ace this thing. But tests aren't inherently bad, right? Tests are bad. I heard this from a guy named Tim Mackey who leads the Bible Project. He said, really, whether a test is good or bad, it depends on who's giving you the test and what their motive is for you. We know that on the one hand, if this just means trial and test, lead us not into temptation doesn't mean that we're never going to face trials or tests or temptations, right? Because in other places in the New Testament, we're guaranteed to face trials. We're guaranteed to face tests. It's just part of what it means to be a human. And when we look at scripture, we see that there have always been tests. I mean, start in the garden with Adam and Eve. That was a test from the serpent, right? Go to Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac. Or uh, Hebrews 3 verse 8 tells us that Israel in the wilderness was a test. That was a 40-year testing Or think about Job. Job was facing a test, right? Satan said, this man doesn't believe and really trust you. God, he just is happy. His life is comfortable. God said, fine, test him. Let's see. We see tests all throughout scripture. We know that we can expect tests. Listen to 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. There's our word. When it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And we know these tests don't have to be bad, and we don't have to be surprised by them. These tests actually can reveal what's in our hearts. These tests can make us stronger, or as First Peter 1 says, these tests can purify our faith like gold by burning away everything that's not real, true faith, revealing the other things we're trusting in and actually removing those things from our life, which is painful. But in the end, it's good because it means our faith in the Lord is more pure, but back to what Tim Mackey said a, a test can be an opportunity or it can be a trap depending on who is testing you and what their motive is. Maybe an example of a good test would be like when a parent asks a child to go clean their room. I wonder if they'll do it. I wonder if they know how to do it. And you're, maybe. Sometimes you ask them to clean their room and you know what they're capable of and you're expecting them to do that and if they don't do it, there's gonna be consequences. But sometimes you just may test them. You know what? Let's see how well they do. There's no consequence if they don't do really good, but I just wanna see. Do they know where things go? Are they gonna obey what I said? Are they gonna be respectful? Are they gonna whine and drag their feet the whole way up and then pitch fit in their room for 30 minutes and then go up there and nothing's clean? Or sometimes you say, hey, will you go clean your room and you go up in 30 minutes and you go, Oh my goodness. You just made a mistake because now I know what you're capable of. (laughs) But it's kind of a test to see where your kids are. What are you able to do? A test can reveal what you're capable of. But this leads us to our second point this morning. Life's full of tests, but these tests are always spiritual. These tests are always spiritual because opportunity or trap, Tests can be an opportunity, but if you get tested in the wrong way, they're not hoping to see what you're capable of. This is like taking a test from a teacher that we've all had, just wants to see how bad you can fail. And you always find yourself wondering, what do you gain for the class average being a 50%? What sort of badge of honor do you get by just failing everybody in your class? It almost seems like some of those tests in school were just meant to trap you into getting the wrong answer. Some tests in our life are good and purifying and from God. Other tests are bad and they're traps and they're from the evil one. And this is because all of life's tests are always spiritual. The reality and something that we, we probably don't talk about enough, even here at Shaffer we don't talk about enough, we live in a real spiritual world. It's easy to forget that, and this spiritual world has real spiritual battles being waged all around us and within us. Let's go back and look at Job for a second. In Job one, do you see what's happening here? In Job one, there's a lot of stuff going on here. So if you hear me mention something, to go, you got to explain that. Not right now, but God essentially calls a council together, and you say, a council of who? Not right now. I mean, he's calling this spiritual council of all of these, maybe you might say angels. I mean, the Old Testament word is gods. And you say, but there's one God. Y- yes, there's one true God who created everything else. But in the Old Testament, I mean, it's very clear that there are all these spiritual beings that are, that are roaming the earth, leading some people into faithfulness and protecting them. We see the angel of the Lord and there are others that we might classify as demons that are clearly doing the opposite of whatever God's work is. And he kind of calls this council together and it says, the Satan comes. And Yahweh, God, says to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. First, wonderful theology point here. The Lord questions Satan. There's a hierarchy among good and evil in the scriptures. We're not talking about this equally powerful forces clashing together. There is one that is clearly over and above the other. And thank God it is him. The Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then the Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. There's a test. Christopher Ashe wrote a wonderful book on, on Job it's called Trusting God in the Darkness. And he says that war is being waged and Job himself is the battleground. So more than just Job losing everything he had and his family and his possessions and his health, his joy. He, he was in the middle of a spiritual battle. Or, or look at Samuel. Uh, last week, Brian, for our prayer time, read Second Samuel, uh, a few verses out of there, how Samuel uh, declared that he was going to take a census. Now, that wasn't odd. People took census all the time, but for Samuel, it was sin because he was directly going. He had no God-given reason to do it. It looks like he was doing it to pat himself on the back, almost take inventory of all that he'd accomplished. And so, Second Samuel 24 verse 1 says, again the anger of the lord was kindled against israel and he the lord incited david against them saying go number israel and judah so it seems like god yahweh the god of the bible is the one that incited samuel to do this but if you go read first and second chronicles you'll see a repeat of the same stories that you read in samuel and kings but almost from a different perspective Samuel and Kings is telling the historical narrative from the perspective of this is how we ended up in exile. We ended up in exile because people were unfaithful. Okay, so the trajectory is downward in Samuel and Kings. But if you go read Chronicles, it's written from the perspective of, hey, I know we're in exile, but look at God's hand in our history. He surely is not giving up on us. So it's the same stories but written from different perspectives. And so listen to what 1 Chronicles 21 says. Same story. David taking a census. 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Second Samuel. The Lord incited David. 1 Chronicles. Satan incited David. I'm not here to try to bring a resolution to that tension. I know that may bother some of you, and guess what? It bothers me at times. But I think this proves the reality that our lives that are filled with tests are radically spiritual. Our lives are loaded with spiritual meaning because of who we are. God created us to be lovers who are always worshiping. So really, every test that we face is really a spiritual battle over our hearts. It's not a matter of if we love. It's who or what we love. So the spiritual warfare that we're constantly engaged in is a war over our heart and our love and our worship. On the one hand, the trap of Satan is to get us to believe that God doesn't really love us, so we shouldn't really love him. This is the story of Genesis 3. As he sows these seeds of doubt in Eve, what is he actually telling Eve? He's saying, look, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he knows you're going to be like him, and he actually wants to keep that from you. There are good things that God could give you that he's not giving you, Eve. So did God really say, don't touch it? He's just holding good things back. He knows if you eat this, it will be awesome. So God's not really good. He doesn't really love you. If he did love you then he'd let you eat this so go ahead take a bite. There's a test and it was a radically spiritual test. Who are you going to trust? God, your maker or the serpent? Will Adam and Eve turn this test into an opportunity for faith or will the test turn into a trap that leads to their demise? What about us? What if we find ourselves in a test like they did in Genesis 3? And I actually think these are, basically every test we face in life comes back to looking just like that. How will we respond? Where would we have turned if we were in Genesis 3? Where will you turn today as you face tests? I love that, that idea of a test being good or bad based on who's giving it to you and what their motive is. But as I found myself writing and praying and thinking this week, I went, how do you tell? How can I tell? I come to a test in life. I come to this crossroads, this tension. How can I tell if this is from God or from the evil one? And the reality is, in the middle of it, I don't think you can. Because I think in the middle of most tests, we may feel like our faith is failing, In the middle of most tests, we may struggle to have direction, wisdom, and guidance. In the middle of most tests, it's a test for exactly that reason. There's a little bit of pressure on you. And in the middle of those tests, I think it's really hard, maybe impossible to tell. No, wait a minute. Is Satan trying to trap me? Or is God trying to strengthen my faith? I think the answer to that question only lies in the outcome. I don't know if you can answer it in the middle of the test. So as we face tests, the question then becomes not, is this from God or from the evil one? It becomes, how are we going to respond? Is this test going to bolster our faith in God or is it going to trap us and lead us to turning away from him? And I immediately thought of COVID. When COVID came, it was a test for many people. Look how different our churches look now than they did before 2020. So many people never returned. They faced a hardship, were forced not to go to church. And then now it's been a struggle to say, you know, it's just been hard to get back in that rhythm of going again. But in the Lord's prayer, Jesus is showing us how to respond to life's tests. He's showing us the only way we can persevere through life's tests is through prayer. Prayer. So that leads us to the last point this morning, which is how does God lead us through life's tests? The prayer in Matthew 6 is a prayer for God's leadership and God's deliverance. In other words, it's saying, God, I want to trust you. God, lead me. God, deliver me. While we're in the middle of life's tests, we may not know if they're from God or from Satan. We may feel like the test we're in or the test we're about to face is going to be the end of us. We might feel like we cannot remain faithful. We might feel like we are trapped and no matter what we do, it's wrong. So Jesus' solution is to pray to the only one who can save us. Enter Jesus. Because Jesus actually entered into tests too. In Matthew 4, we read about Jesus facing the evil one in the wilderness. Just like Israel was tested in the wilderness for 40 years. Our Lord Jesus faced the evil one in the wilderness for 40 days, and he was found faithful. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 tells us that he faced all of our temptations, yet without sin. We read the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we find that Jesus was faced with intense evil and suffering. He was tested in the garden, yet he continued to trust God. Since Genesis 3, all of humanity has been cursed. We've all been deceived by the evil one. But Jesus has come to fulfill the promise of Genesis 3.15 and to crush the serpent's head once and for all. So the whole story of the Bible is told under the banner of that hope. That there is a snake crusher coming. And in Jesus, here he is. So. All of life is a test, and all of life's tests are spiritual. Colossians 2.15 is our hope. He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities, spiritual rulers and spiritual authorities. He disarmed them. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The good news this morning is that the snake crusher is victorious. He entered into tests. He entered into temptation and was perfect. But his victory came in the most unlikely way. he actually gave up all of his strength. He actually went the way of the cross. Rather than coming to earth the first time with a sword ready to conquer and kill, he came as a baby who would grow up and be killed. And as I thought about this, I I began to think, you know, that's the only way we can really test our strength, right? I grew up playing sports, and I was excited to hit the point where we would begin working out with the football team, and I... I remember, especially as a young guy coming up on the team, they wanted to test you. You could talk all you wanted to about how strong you were or how fast you were, but they were going to put you to the test. You think you're strong? Let's go in the weight room and see. The only way to test how strong you really are is to face resistance. Physically, that's absolutely true. You think you're a certain strength. You think you can move a certain amount of weight. Well, let's put that weight on your back and let's see. Let's lay that weight on your chest and watch you push it off. Because that weight is resistance, and do you have the strength to push it off of you? And the more weight you put on, the harder it is, but you realize the stronger you are. And then you work out and you exercise, and you can push more and more and more weight. So Jesus, intent on showing how great his strength is, faced the greatest resistance. He didn't just have a few hundred pounds put on his back like the football team does. He suffered under the weight of sins. He faced the resistance of the evil one by willingly facing death, which is the consequence for sin. But this does not at all seem like victory. To die seems like defeat. But it's only by going into death that the power of life shines all the brighter Because you face the resistance of not being alive at all. So how much greater does it look to come back to life? Seems like he just willingly laid down and quit. But when you keep reading the story, we find out that what Jesus was doing was going into the deepest part of evil. So that when he was victorious, it would be against the greatest resistance. He left no enemy untouched, no sin ignored, no consequence unpaid for. He tested the strength of his righteousness. Because if there was any blemish on his record of righteousness, then stepping into the grave would have been the end of him. If he had any sin in him, he would have stayed dead. That's a great risk. You want to claim to be perfect? That's a way to prove it. It's kind of like what Jesus did when uh, someone came up and couldn't walk. And his friends bring him to Jesus, and he's in front of all the religious leaders. And you remember what Jesus did? He looks at the man who can't walk, and I just, I just love the beauty of the story. He looks at the man who can't walk, obvious need, and he says, your sins are forgiven. He's playing chess. <laughs> he's looking two or three moves ahead. Instead of healing the man and making him walk, he says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders go, who can forgive sins but God alone? So Jesus goes, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? What's way easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't test that? Jesus goes, okay, I'll bite. Rise up and walk. And he stands up and walks. Jesus was willing to be tested only so he could display his strength. Jesus tested the strength of his righteousness because if he was imperfect, he would have stayed Dead because he would have deserved death. He tested the strength of his faithfulness to God. Jesus, the God-man, eternal son of God, who took on flesh to become a man and dwell among us that we might be saved. But had he turned away from the cross, he would have left all that. Theologians argue whether or not he could have done that. Look, beside the point this morning, his faithfulness was he sat in the garden And sweat blood because of the anxiety and the worry and the fear. and God, if there's any other way. His faithfulness was tested and he remained faithful. He tested the strength of his love. Romans 5 says that the way God displays his love for us is shown in the sacrifice of Jesus. That he died for us while we were sinners. He tested the strength of his love by going to the uttermost. You know, a test of love is you serve those you love, you meet their needs, you work hard, but would you give up your life? And against all of these tests, Jesus was shown to be victorious. He did not stay dead, but was raised to life, proving that he alone has the power over life's ultimate tests. So, all of life, is tests you will face tests every day that you breathe and all of those tests are spiritual they're over your heart where are you gonna turn and when you're in the middle of a test you don't know if it's from the Lord and it's an opportunity to grow or you don't know if it's from the Satan the one who wants to trap you and entice you to sin and fall away from the Lord and you feel like your faith is gonna break you feel like you don't have what it takes You feel like you don't know the way forward? The good news is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith, not you. God did not save you because he saw how much faith you had and was impressed. God saved you because of what Jesus has done. God didn't save you because he looked down the storyline of your life and saw that you'd be perfectly faithful to him and you were an asset to his team. He saved you because he loves you even when you're not an asset to his team. The good news is that when we're in the middle of a test and a temptation and we're face to face with the evil one and we cry out, don't lead me into this temptation that's going to break me. Deliver me from this evil one who wants to trap me. We're praying to the one who faced the same evil one and was victorious. So what we're really praying in these two lines is not just that we'd never be tempted or tested. The Bible tells us that's actually a guarantee. But the prayer is that God would lead us out of temptations to forsake him and deliver us from the traps of the evil one who want to turn us away from him. So as we consider the tests of life, Maybe some of us gotta step back and realize life's full of tests. Maybe some of us need to reckon with the fact that all of our tests are very spiritual, that everything you do is spiritual. Everything you do is revealing your heart and what you most love and what you worship. Some of us this morning need to turn to Jesus. And realize that God is not just testing your strength to see if you're going to make it. 1 Corinthians talks about there's no temptation that's been given to you that's not common to man. That God's not going to give you a way out. Wait, what's the way out? Jesus. That you would turn to Jesus And recognize that in your own strength, you don't have a way out. In your own wisdom, you don't have a way out. If you were to face the evil one on your own, you don't have a way. But if you face the evil one, united to the victorious snake crusher, you will find deliverance. So what things in your life have been testing your faith? What are the, the, and look, Our temptation, we're in church. Let me think of the churchiest answer I can give in my head right now. I mean, what like normal everyday things are hard for you right now? Relationships. Like, it's better to just be honest about what's hard than trying to act like it shouldn't be hard and so you sweep it under the rug. But like, sometimes being a spouse is really challenging. You can actually resent the one you're supposed to love and then you feel guilty for that and you really don't even know where to start. You feel like you can't even pray about that but when you feel free to bring that to the Lord and you go, God, I'm in this moment, this test of faith that you've united me in this spouse, am I gonna turn and trust you that you're gonna see us through this storm or am I gonna bail and and bite on the trap of the evil one that says marriage is optional and temporary and I can get out whenever I'd like? That's a test of your... Faith. What about parenting? What about your work? You know, you're tested in the way you spend your time every day. You're tested in the way that you spend your money every day. What sort of resistance to your faith have you been pushing up against? In what ways right now in your life does it feel hard to maintain faith in God? What ways, right now in your life, how is it hard to maintain faith in God? Where right now would you just say, God, I just don't, like, I I hear this word. I just don't know if I believe this. I'm here. I'm trying. And you recognize right now, because of this message and this verse, the evil one wants to trap you in that. Say, see, there's no, he's not good. There's no God. And if he is, he's not good. So turn away. Let's go do this. You know what Jesus invites you to do? Come on, come to me. What would your life look like if your instinct, as we face life's tests, if your instinct was to turn to God with this prayer? God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. God, don't lead me into the kinds of things where I'm gonna be trapped. But deliver me from evil. Because this morning, you're invited to pray to the one who has faced the test and passed. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for you. We're thankful for your magnificent plan and story. That every week when we open up this word, we see how everything is connected. And this morning we have covered Genesis 3 to Jesus all the way to our life today. Wow. Jesus, thank you for passing the test. And then thank you for opening up the endless riches of your strength and your love to welcome us into it so that all the strength that you have that caused you to pass the test is available to us. And you invite us to abide in you so that we can live in it. Thank you for that, Jesus. And I pray this morning, God, for everyone here, that we would leave here today abiding in you. Because as we face tests today and this week, we have no hope if we're not abiding in you, God. So I pray that you would whisper the names of those people that are here this morning. You know them. You can number the hairs on their head. You know when they go to sleep and wake up. You know their thoughts and desires of their heart. Would you whisper their name this morning and call them closer to you? And I pray for those this morning, God, that are being crushed under the weight of tests and trials. Those who feel like there truly is no way out. The ones who wonder if their faith will stand. The ones who wonder if you've given up on them, God. I pray that you would whisper, I'm here. And have not forgotten you. I pray that you would strengthen their faith. I pray that you would turn their eyes to Jesus this morning. And that they would rest in all that Christ has done for them. That they would rest in all that ways that you love them. That they would rest in who you are. Not in their own ability to figure it out and, and get through life, God. And I pray for those of us who trust in our own strength as we face life's tests, God. I could not pass the tests that Christ passed for me. God, that's why he had to come. I couldn't even get close. It's not like, Jesus, you came to finish what I started and I was almost there and you just came to kind of push me over the edge. Jesus, I I couldn't do it at all. I needed you start to finish. And so as I face the tests of life, help me to live with the humility of, of where my heart really is. love you, Jesus. And we're thankful for all that you've done to save us and bring us into a forever relationship with you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're getting ready this morning to declare what we just talked about. All of you get a chance to declare it. Um, this is a celebration that Christ has passed the test. We're going to take the bread and the cup and celebrate Jesus' body broken for you. For you personally. His body was broken. His blood was shed for you because he went that far in the test that he would die so that you could have life with him forever. And so we do this every week as a reminder to ourselves and we also do that as a reminder to others because you might not realize this but there may be people in this room that are just struggling their faith and when they see other believers taking this they're reminded i'm not alone and so as we take this let's look up to god and let's give thanks let's look in our own hearts and confess and repent of the ways that we've not been dependent on jesus and let's look around this room and pray for our brothers and sisters who are going to partake of the lord's table for those of you this morning who don't know Jesus personally. You need to know that the Lord's invitation extends to you this morning to turn in faith, turn from your sin and doing life on your own and come to Jesus. That doesn't mean you have every answer. That doesn't mean you've read through this one time. That doesn't mean you have a certain percentage of all the faith you need, like there's a minimum requirement. That means you turn and fall into the arms of the Savior who's strong enough to hold you. So your invitation this morning is not to come to the table. It's to come to the Savior and I would be happy to pray with you and show you how you can do that. As we, as everyone else comes to take the Lord' table, come to me, to me, and I'll help you pray. And I'm going to come stand like right, right down here. And for the rest of us, we're going to take this uh, in a moment of silence. As we think on how good Jesus is, so let me pray over the table. God, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, for His body broken for us, which reminds us that our bodies. And this life will not last forever, but you will give us new bodies that certainly will last forever. Jesus, thank you for your blood that was shed for us to pay for our sin, to make us righteous in your eyes and bring us into a relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.